Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Thank you all for joining us tonight. It's already been an amazing, amazing weekend. We have just getting started. Last service, uh, the place was packed just like it is now. We had about 20 individuals give their life to Jesus at the end of the service. Amen. It makes it all worthwhile. It's what it's all about. Amen. Well, I wish you all a very happy Easter, happy resurrection weekend. Uh, I feel like there's no better way for us to celebrate the resurrection than to let the Bible speak for itself. So I'm going to be reading uh, portions of Scripture from the Gospels uh, pertaining to what we're celebrating this weekend. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. John chapter 20, starting in verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet it did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. He saw, I want you to concentrate on those words. And he saw and believed. What did he see? An empty tomb. What did they both observe? The cloths lying there. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the single most world-changing event in the history of mankind. Just think about it. Every time, every time you, you write the date, you are referencing and you are acknowledging that he came to this earth, he was born of a virgin, he lived on this earth, he died on the cross, he rose again, and the tomb is empty. Amen? Paul preached that Jesus walked out a path that was laid before him by God the Father as it was revealed to us in the Scriptures. Now, the reason for that path and the reason for the journey that Jesus had to take on this earth was because our sins needed to be paid for. Now, granted, I would imagine in a crowd this size, there's some of you that might be saying, well, I've been a good person all my life. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen from anyone. And that's wonderful, and we commend you, and you're probably a much better person than I have been. However, The scriptures tell us very clearly in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short 
of God's standards. So although you might be a better person than I am, or maybe you're better than the person in front of you or behind you, the fact is, at the cross, we're all equal. Are you listening to me? Okay. We all have sin. We all need payment for that sin, every single one of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul made it even clearer. He states here in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, I'm telling you what I was told, what I've experienced, Paul's writing. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In other words, it was a plan all along. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In other words, it was all foretold. And that he was seen by Cephas, or we would say Peter, Simon Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. In other words, when he wrote that letter, there were still many, many people who were still alive on the earth that had seen Jesus risen. But some have fallen asleep. In other words, some had died already. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul said, as one born out of due time. In other words, Paul considered himself the least of all the apostles. Because of the type of life that he led before he met Christ, he considered himself not worthy to be named among them. By his death on the cross, Jesus paid for our sins and redeemed us. I want you to understand the two-part nature of our salvation. Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, redeemed us. And that would have been great if he would have stopped there. It would have been wonderful. But he went even further. Because by the resurrection, he purchased for each and every one of us eternal life. In other words, because he lives, we live. Because he was raised, we are raised. And we have hope. Of eternal life. Not just, not just that we're not going to hell, but we have hope of eternal life here, now, on the earth. Amen? The place of death has been turned into a place of new birth. The tomb became a womb for spiritual rebirth. Even as the disciples experienced new birth on their very first resurrection Sunday night, you and I can now have the life of God living in us. And what happened on that first resurrection night? They discovered the empty tomb in the morning. That evening, all the disciples are together in one place for fear of that they're going to be arrested next. Jesus supernaturally shows up in the room, just walks right through the walls and presents himself to the disciples. And he says to them, he breathes on them, And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And immediately, their spirits became alive unto God. What happened? They were born again right on the spot. The very first ones. Amen? When you, those of you that are in this room, those of you that seated here tonight with us and joined us in this celebration, those of you that have at some point in your your life, up until this night, from this point, Forward, you're going to have an opportunity. But for those that already have had that experience of being born again, the very same thing happened to us. Jesus wasn't standing there in person, but the breath of the Holy Spirit came into your spirit when you said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. 
I believe that God raised you from the dead three days later, and I believe you're alive right now. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, come into my heart. The same breath of God came to live on the inside of you and still abides in us. In fact, later on, Paul writes, when he receives revelation from the Holy Spirit, he writes to us in the book of Romans and says, the same spirit, not a different one, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul said, lives in you. And he goes on to say, and quickens your body. In other words, if there's sickness, if there's disease, if there's anything going on there, the spirit of God raises us up just like he raised Jesus up. How many are grateful for that? I'm grateful for that. Thank God, thank God, thank God. Why the tomb? Why is the tomb the center and the focus of the resurrection? It's empty, yeah, but the devil meant for the tomb to be the final stop for Jesus. And, and listen, the disciples believed it too. They completely came unglued when they saw, when they heard of Jesus being nailed to this cross, giving up his spirit, dying there and having to be buried. They lost all hope. They didn't understand that there had to be a three-day period. They didn't understand that he had to go into the grave. He had to go into hell. He had to suffer everything you and I would suffer if we reject Christ. He had to suffer that on our behalf. So of course, even in, even in the disciples' eyes, this is it, it's done, He's, it, it's finished. He's not the one we thought he was. But three days later, turn to somebody and say, but three days later. Come on, act like it was exciting, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> the tomb that was supposed to be silent and dead became a place of proclamation and declaration. That silent tomb, every one, of, every one of those people, Peter and John and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the, other, the two other Marys that show up, every single person that showed up at the tomb, it declared that Jesus is the Son of God and he's alive just like he said. I want you to pay special attention to this next portion of Scripture that I'm going to share with you from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul's saying the gospel was not something new. The gospel had been predicted and foretold. Back in what we call the Old Testament. But then he goes on to say this, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, in other words, a descendant of King David, according to the flesh, in other words, in his natural body, Jesus was a direct descendant of King David. But look at verse four. This is what I'm talking about. This is the declaration I'm saying that the empty tomb made. This is the thing that the tomb proclaims. Watch what it says. And referring to Jesus, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of dead. Pastor, what does that mean? This is what it means. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, even as we sang tonight, when his body began to breathe again and he got up off that cold stone and walked out of that tomb, it declared him once and for all, this is the son of God. Are you listening? But here's the question I got for you tonight. Declared to be the son of God by who? Because we can clearly read in the scriptures. Jesus was not being declared the son of God by God. God already knew that. 
In fact, you might remember when the angel Gabriel came to Mary to tell her God's plan, Gabriel said, he shall be great, talking about Jesus, he shall be great and he will be called the son of the highest. So obviously Gabriel knew who this was and Gabriel couldn't have known unless God revealed to Gabriel, that's my son. So who declared this? Because we see even later on at Jesus' baptism, remember when Jesus got baptized? The Bible tells us that when he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him on Jesus. And verse 17 says this, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So can we see that God knew that he was his Son? I'll give you one more. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember Jesus went up on a mountain and took Peter and James and John with him. And it tells us that, that while they were up there, Matthew 17, 5 says, while he was still speaking, behold, talking about Jesus, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is the third time now, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. In other words, listen to him. So we know. That verse in Romans chapter 1 that says that he was declared to be the Son of God through the Spirit of holiness and power could not be God declaring. God already knew. So who's declaring? Who is this tomb speaking to? Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Christ, has made alive again with him having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. What does that mean? The Ten Commandments, all of the rules and regulations of the Old Testament that actually sit, they stand against us. What do you mean, Pastor? You can't do them. Is there one person in here that has fulfilled every one of the Ten Commandments, never broken one of them? You've raised your hand, I'm gonna call you a liar right to your face. Because right there, you broke it. You lied. There's only one person that ever came to this earth that fulfilled every one of those commandments, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But, when it, but that commandments, the commandments are against us. They're constantly in our face, constantly showing us you can't do this. You're not good enough. You can never measure up to this. And Jesus comes and goes, I did. I fulfilled them all. And then when you put your trust in me, you get the same reward as if you fulfilled them all. Put your trust in Christ, not trusting in your own willpower. But you don't understand, Pastor. You know, I really have been a good person in my life. Yeah, we're all impressed. <laughs> we're all impressed. So then it goes on to say that it took them out, it took those requirements out of the way. In other words, that's not the issue any longer. The issue is not, are you able to keep the commandments? The issue is this. Where's your faith? Is it in Jesus Christ or is it in yourself? If it's in yourself, you better get yourself some fire insurance. If it's in Christ, you'll have eternal life. But now watch this now. What are we talking about? We're talking about who had to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Who does this empty tomb speak to? Watch this now. Verse 15 says, 
having disarmed, talking about Jesus now, having disarmed principalities and powers, don't get hooked up on that. I'm going to explain to you what that is. He, Christ, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What is that all about? Principalities and powers are rankings of angels in the kingdom of Satan. You know, just like there's angels in the kingdom of God, there are angels in the kingdom of darkness. Those are angels that followed Lucifer when he rebelled against God. There's a hierarchy in the kingdom of darkness, Satan ruling over them. But when Jesus, after he had expired on the cross, gave up his spirit, he, his spirit, had to go into the place of Hades, into the place where people went that were lost. And he had to subject himself to the torment that you and I would experience. Yet there was a moment in that time when the Holy Spirit just reached down and grabbed a hold of him. And he was raised again, as it said in Romans chapter one, by the spirit of holiness or through the spirit of holiness. Jesus was raised up. But when he was raised up, he confronted the devil. He confronted all these evil spirits, what the Bible refers to as principalities and powers. And he took the authority away from Satan for death and hell and the grave and conquered death. And it says he made a spectacle over them. What are you saying, Pastor? This is what I'm saying. When Jesus Christ walked out of that cold tomb, the devil could no longer hide the fact this is the Christ, the son of the living God. The tomb declared him to be the son of God in power. Philippians chapter two, verse 10, listen to this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on the earth, and those where? Under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where? On earth, in heaven, and under the earth. In every region of existence, Jesus Christ is now declared to be Lord. When Jesus stripped Satan of his power, the entire realm of the spirit of darkness, the entire realm and kingdom of darkness witnessed Jesus Christ in power, in majesty. And they could never again question who this is. You might remember in the New Testament, Paul writes, according to this revelation, that if the kingdom of darkness, if the enemy knew who Jesus was, who the prince of glory was, he said he would have never crucified him. He thought the crucifixion was going to be the end of it. He thought the tomb was going to be the end of it, and it blew up right in his face. The empty tomb declares to the kingdom of darkness, he is the son of God. Amen? Now, the resurrection is an established fact in that realm. In heaven? Yes? Is there any question in heaven who he is? None at all. Is there any question in the regions of darkness who he is? None at all. But there still remains a place where he needs to be declared the son of God. And that's here on the earth. And that's through us. I want you to consider this. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. The early church had one main message. That was it. He's risen. That was their message, wherever they went, wherever, no matter who it is, Peter, James, John, Jude, no matter where they went to preach, their message was, 
He is risen. Us today, we have a million messages. We have to teach on marriage. We have to teach on families. We've got to teach on relationships. We've got to teach on forgiveness. We've got to teach on all these other things. You know, so people have a well-rounded life. We understand that. But in the very beginning, one message. And that message was powerful. And that message was, was preached with boldness. Why? Because most of the people that preached this message had seen him. They, they knew that he went to the cross. They knew that he spent three days in the grave. But all of a sudden, here he is. Let me tell you, would that make an impact on your life? And yet, look at what happened. One of the most amazing things that took place. Many of you remember that first Easter Sunday night we talked about before. There was somebody that was missing there. His name is Thomas. And Thomas, later on, when he found out that Jesus had appeared to all the rest of the disciples, said, nah, nah, I don't believe it. Not unless I could see his hands and put my finger inside the nail prints or if I could put my hand in his side. And so eight days later, he's back with the disciples. Guess who shows up? Jesus. Now, of course, Thomas has no choice but to declare. And he says, you are my Lord and my God. And Jesus says something so amazing and so comforting to us in this day and age. He says, Thomas, you're blessed because you believe, because you've seen. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about our faith. Our main message needs to be that through Jesus, we also will be resurrected from sin and from death. God took a very hopeless place and made it into a doorway into eternal life. Every one of us are going to walk through that door. But guess what? Every one of us have already walked through the door when we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior. There is nothing for us to fear on the other side of that door. There's nothing for us to fear as we cross over that threshold at some point in our future. One of the quietest places that you and I can go to is a cemetery. You realize that? Some people get creeped out going to the cemeteries. I personally don't like cemeteries. But you got to admit, you don't need to be worried about them. It's the ones that are alive that you've got to worry about. Amen? Yeah, you don't need to walk through the cemetery looking over your shoulder. But when you walk through life, sometimes you... But the enemy loves that silence. He loves the idea because he wants us to think this is where it ends. This is it. We hit the wall. But we know that it's not true because the tomb speaks. It's not over. In fact, life has just begun. Now, I, I, I find one note here that's very interesting. I, I very much think in pictures, and when I read the scriptures, I picture myself in this situation. And I picture what it was like to be there when Peter and John arrived at the tomb. You remember, in Matthew, it tells us that the women were there. They saw that the tomb was empty. They go back and tell Peter and the rest of the disciples, the tomb's empty. We went there. He's not there. And so in the Gospel of John, picture this now. John and Peter take off running to the tomb. But let's just be realistic. John, for all, for all we know from what the Scriptures tell us, is a young man. Okay? Peter is quite a few years older. And so the scriptures are very honest to tell us the younger one gets to the tomb first. But watch this now. He's got enough respect for his elder and enough honor for Peter. He doesn't go in the tomb. He's waiting 
for Simon Peter to come. I could just picture Simon Peter like I would be, huffing and puffing, red face, sweating. And so he waits for, for Simon Peter to get to the tomb, and then, and then the two of them look in together. And just picture this, because in those ancient tombs, for the most part, you'd have to crouch down to look in. And so you say, I could just picture the two of them, and it tells us that they saw the cloth that Jesus' body was wrapped in just kind of just crumpled up on the side. You know how us guys do? Just throw our clothes on the side. But it tells us that the handkerchief that was wrapped around Jesus' head and face was folded neatly and put on the side. And I know, I know, because the information comes down to us all these thousands of years that the ancient Jewish custom back then was this, that if you went to someone's house for dinner and you were greeted and you were treated with hospitality and you were very well pleased with the hosts, that before you left, if you were pleased, you took your napkin and folded it neatly and put it on one side. So I would have loved to see Peter and John's face when they looked in that tomb and they saw the cloth on the side, but they saw the napkin folded neatly and it would have spoken volumes to them. But I picture something else happening. Just humor me here for a little bit. I picture, you see now, let's go back to this, this goal here tonight of, the, of what we want to get to, this, 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 this thought that we want to get to. The tomb declared Jesus, the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God in power. And I picture Peter, both him and John, peering into that, into that tomb, and Peter turning to John going, I told you. What are you referring to? I'm referring to Matthew 16. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah is one of the prophets. Verse 15, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? I know everybody else is saying this and that and the other thing, but who do you say that I am? And Peter just blurts out without thinking, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter had to have thought that when he looked in that tomb and saw the cloth on the side, and saw the napkin in place, and realized from the story that he heard from the women, the fact that there were angels there rolling away the stone, he had to make the connection like, I was right, I got it. People over the centuries have had many things to say about Jesus. Some of us at some point in our lives may have even said, yeah, I believe that he probably was a person that lived on earth, and I, he was probably a good teacher, and he was, he was probably a prophet. Well, you know, people say that he worked miracles, so maybe he was a miracle worker. Many people say many things about him, but let me ask you this tonight, as we get ready to wrap this up here. Who do you say that he is? Because that's the question of the ages. That is the question that is gonna determine whether you spend eternity in heaven or whether you spend eternity separated from him in a place of torment, in a place of darkness. It's not gonna be how much did you give to the church, how many hours did you pray, how many people did you help, were you kind, 
where you're nice. Is that important? Very much so, but it doesn't get us into heaven. The question is, who do you say he is? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he gave this instruction of how to receive salvation. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith. In other words, when you declare with your mouth what you already believe in your heart about the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation comes instantly. And the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Another translation says, whoever believes in him will never be disappointed. I'm asking you again, who do you say that he is? You know, we're here this weekend celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating the empty tomb. That empty tomb being the final demonstration of God's love towards us. Now, I want to give some instruction here of what's going to take place in the next few minutes. I am going to give an invitation to those who are in this room tonight that may have never, never, never had the opportunity to pray a very simple prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Now, that prayer is going to be obviously dependent upon what you believe in your heart about the Lord Jesus. But... What I want to give instruction to everyone else that's here tonight is that after we give the opportunity for people to pray that prayer, we will be receiving communion together, all of us. So please, unless you have some type of a medical emergency, please don't be moving around. Please limit your getting up and going out of the room. Why, why, Pastor? Because you don't want to distract someone at the point in time when they could be making the most important decision of their lives. After we pray together, then we will take communion together. Here's what I would like you to do. First of all, I'd like to have everyone stand, please. I want you to answer this question in your heart. I don't want you to answer it out loud. I don't want you to do anything else but to answer on the inside. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died on the cross as payment for your sins and for mine? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive right now in heaven? If you believe those simple facts, the Bible declares that you are ready to receive salvation. You are qualified to receive salvation. Now, we receive salvation by making a declaration, and we're going to do that in just about 30 seconds. But first, I want everyone in this room to respect this time, to treat it with reverence. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, every single person in this room, bow your heads and close your eyes. It's a very private time, very private time. Please don't be looking around. Please don't distract anyone. I want to make this invitation to you. Do you desire this night to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your God? Do you desire this night to receive an assurance that if God forbid 
you were to take your last breath this night, that you would be guaranteed to be in the presence of God for all of eternity? Do you desire to have an assurance that your sins have been forgiven, that your past is not being held against you, and that you have the opportunity this night to step into a whole new life, to literally be born again? If that's your desire and you want to pray that prayer, I want to pray with you personally. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor, that's me. I want to pray. I want to receive Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody? Maybe you're here tonight and you've prayed that prayer in the past, but you recognize, man, I have really gotten off track. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, raise your hand right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now listen, open, open your eyes, raise your head. Look at me, look at me. Let's, let's seal this thing. Let's seal this thing. I want to personally lead you in prayer. Those of you that raised your hands, especially those of you that you've, you've never prayed that prayer before, get out of your seats right now, come and join me over here. Do this really quick, do this really quick. Come on, if you raised your hand, be serious about it. Come on. Yeah, let's give it up for these people. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I, I, I know there was more people that raised their hands. Look, I'm not looking for trophies. I'm just looking for you to have the opportunity to nail this thing. Seal it. Show the devil tonight that you mean business. Show God that you mean business. Listen, I, I, I have to say this. There's somebody here that you have stood through altar call after altar call after altar call after altar call, and you keep resisting and you keep resisting, but the day's going to come. You're not going to be able to respond anymore. I'm begging you, if that's you, get out of your seat and come up here right now. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being so bold. Look, we, all of us know this isn't an easy thing to do. We know this. We've all been there. Did anybody else that's supposed to be up here, please? Do not treat this lightly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, what better weekend to do this than on Easter? Hallelujah. All right, those of you that are up here, look at me. We're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm trusting that you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God received his death on the cross as payment for your sins and for my sin. And I trust that you believe that God raised him from the dead. He's alive, and he's very much aware right now in heaven what's going on right here. So listen, why don't we all join them together and pray together, amen? amen. Let's say this together. Father, Father I, believe I believe with all my heart, all my heart that, Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe, I believe that when he died on the cross, he died in my place. I believe, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, and he's alive, and he hears me. So Jesus... 
I ask you, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I can say tonight with all confidence that I am a child of God. And that when the time comes for me to leave this body, I believe that I will be immediately in your presence for all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's give it up. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.